Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of the DOS Game Club podcast. Uh, I'm Martijn, Tijn on the forums, uh, and I'm not alone. Uh, I'm here together with the usual co-host Florian. Hi. And also very excited uh, to introduce a new DOS Game Club member, David. Hi there, nice to meet you. Great. Um, we've been playing uh, Commander Keen in September. Um, it's been a while, but we're running a little bit behind. We're, we're catching up, actually, as we're doing this. Um, but yeah, we played Commander Keen in September. So uh, we should sit down and talk about that, I think. Sounds good. Yeah. Now, normally, I start by asking the person who suggested this game uh, why they picked it. But sadly, um, this game was uh, suggested by DOS Game Club member uh, Pekuya, but he's not here. So, did any of you um, play Commander Keen before? Would you have suggested it, is my, is my question, I suppose. I did play it for a very short while um, on a school computer. Hmm. That was years after it was released. And I think it was only Keen 4, uh, looking back at it now. Hmm. And yeah, I, I liked it. Uh, the bits that I could uh, could try back then. It was, I think, only the first two levels I ever tried because there was not much time in the breaks uh, where we could actually play it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I always wanted to play more of it. And yeah, that was my... my uh, opportunity now <laughs> i think a lot of people played these dos games in school i've heard i've heard this story many times now uh di did you uh, have to start over each time um i had because i didn't know about the saving and i think i played it maybe 10 or 11 12 times in total and for 10 minutes each so i don't think i would have gotten very far without yeah. uh, <laughs> practicing more just just the yeah. first level the first level 10 times, yeah. Okay, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, my school could barely afford PCs. We had the uh, BBC Micro uh, computers at school that ran on BASIC. But, oh, uh, wow. Yeah, at, at home I uh, had a PC and I grew up with this and the entire Apogee catalogue. I, di I didn't have a games console at home like most people did, so uh, my childhood mm. was games by Apogee and did and Epic. Ah, so, oh, but that's perfect. So Kamala Keen mm -hmm. was probably a big... Big step forward for you in terms of game mechanics. It really was, yeah. That's super cool. Yeah, I, I also remember uh, other kids in school, um, because I also also had a, a DOS computer, but I was also really fond of the type of games, uh, the, the, the early, well, not really early, but the late 80s DOS games, they were not very um, action-oriented mostly, because the of the limited capabilities of, of the PCs back in the day compared to consoles, especially. So I was always playing these like uh, turn-based games and, and management games and stuff like that. So yeah, I was not really into this action platformer stuff, but, but I know other people in school, they were really hyped that, that they could play now uh, a game like Mario on their PC. So 
So other kids, uh, they were really... And I actually, I went over and, and played it at other people's homes, Commander Keen. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's It never really connected with me. I was always like, yeah, okay, you, you run and then you jump <laughs> on a pogo stick. That's okay. Uh -huh. And... And then you know, and then nothing. That that was that was the game, and I was always a bit mm, okay. But um, uh, of course, uh, for the club now, uh, I went back to it and played it again. And actually, I, I beat the the first game completely. I I had never done that before. <laughs> Is that the first uh, the first episode or yeah. the first uh, three games? No, no, the first episode. I mean, oh, okay. Uh, but for me, that was a uh, a milestone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, Yeah, and, and actually, I, I started with the same feeling, you know, oh, no, this again, you know, the guy walked to the right. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> But then then I found the pogo stick, and then I found the, the gun that you can zap the, the, the monsters with. And I actually, yeah, I, I started to see the appeal. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it grew on me, uh, like only in September, even though I had played it uh, a little bit back in the 90s. Excellent. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you seem to be really big, uh, big fans, both of you. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, you mentioned uh, Nintendo a while ago, mm. and I know that Nintendo was the thing to beat at that stage. Right. Uh, for ages uh, before Commander Keen, I know I'd been jealous of Nintendo owning friends because they had games that looked a lot more sophisticated and much smoother. Uh, I My first PC game was... Uh, a freeware thing called Jason Jupiter, where it was all constructed out of ASCII characters. Wow. Um, but uh, Keen took a... It, it, uh, because of the smooth scrolling, uh, it went a long way to leveling that playing field. And uh, afterwards, in things like uh, Duke Nukem 1, uh, Apogee name-dropped Nintendo specifically and said, wow, we've got a whole 1MB of graphics. That's better than Nintendo can do. Wow. Yeah, this was the thing, though. I think we should talk a bit about this. Actually, I think... Talking about Commander Keen, that means talking about the smooth scrolling, because that, that was the big thing, wasn't it? It was, yeah. So maybe we should explain this a little bit, because to me, this is fairly new stuff. I, I hadn't really um, realized this was this was even a thing, <laughs> but um, because I played earlier uh, platform games also on the on the pc such as uh prince of persia or uh, another world or i'm not actually sure those games are earlier but they're sort of the same time i think yeah i think yeah, prince of persia is two years older hmm oh yes yeah was that on the pc was it uh, 1989 on the apple II and 1991 on the pc i can't remember oh i'm not so sure about that but yeah yeah no, or... but it was around that time yeah yeah absolutely. Um, and to me those games they all seem fairly similar like okay you it's uh it's a 2d game and you view it from the side just like mario or just like you know play platform as platformers are mm -hmm. um but there's a big difference between those games and uh for example what mario did and what also uh was going on in commander keen uh and that is the smooth scrolling thing isn't it yeah i think it is um, the big difference is, um, for me, that the, the pacing of the game is completely different. When you compare Prince of Persia to uh, Keen or Mario, that means you always have to have your level design so that it fits onto one uh, screen, basically. And you have to be smart about what, what to do at the edge of a level or of, of a screen, basically. Yes, yeah. So, mm, because you go, you go from room to room. That's really mm -hmm. the, the flow of the game. Right. 
Okay. And that, that makes a big difference, uh, at least to me as a player, I think, because um, in Mario and Keen, you just go from, from the left to the right and you make your way and you're not interrupted by uh, drawing pauses where the, the screen is redrawn. And yeah, you, you just go and go and go and that's it. Right. So it's all one big thing instead of a sequence of screens. That's really the, the whole smooth scrolling thing. Absolutely right, yeah. Okay. So what's so special about this? Um, yeah, the special thing about it is that, uh, for example, the Nintendo had special hardware or the, the graphics processor in the Nintendo had hardware or had a functionality where it could move the screen um, around, basically, and on just a view into the, the background, which could be larger than the visible part. Hmm. And on the PC, prior to EGA, that was not possible because the CGA graphics card had only one screen buffer and it had to be redrawn every frame. Basically what we're doing today with modern games again, but <laughs> uh, in the olden times that, that was, was not so easy because when you have, a I don't know, an 8 megahertz CPU or less than, and, and very low memory bandwidth, then it's very expensive and slow to redraw the whole screen when you want to scroll a bit. Mm -hmm. And with EGA, it basically added the same thing that uh, was able, possible on consoles before, and that is to have a bigger screen buffer than is visible at any given time. Okay. So you could you could basically just draw the part that is not visible at the moment, and then move the buffer a bit over, and then you see the new part. Right. So you, you only have to copy a few uh, columns of pixels on every frame, and that's it, instead of redrawing the whole screen. Right. And this was a big novelty. Uh a big a big new thing that wasn't around in in those games before that's right yeah everything before that if you look at apogee's previous catalog arctic adventure and Ferris tombs and things they were as you described before they're just uh, single rooms uh, level by level um monuments of mars tried to do a bit more and make it more like a continuous level with multiple screens but uh, yeah there was definitely no scrolling hmm. that's interesting that's cool so um Maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, who came up with this stuff, because it was actually, it, it, it can be pinpointed down to a single person. Uh, right. Absolutely, yeah. And a very famous person by today's standards, too. <laughs> exactly. That's John Carmack we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He was not very old at the time, was he? Oh, no, you're making me uh, feel like I've wasted my life now. But he was <laughs> he was about 20 years old when he was inventing all this, something like that. Oh, boy. Uh, that, that was when, when we were playing games, he was already making better games than we are making now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh. So so this uh, the, the kid, John Carmack, he, uh, he came on the scene and he thought, OK, this NES stuff, that's pretty cool with uh, Mario just smoothly going to the right without ever refreshing a whole screen, no loading, no nothing. And he came up with a way to do this uh, in MS-DOS, which, mm -hmm. yeah, which was a new thing. Yeah, and his, his first prototype was the first level of Mario. Oh, right. Yeah. I read about that. Oh, was, that was that his part, though? Or was that done by John Romero? Oh, do you know what? Maybe. Maybe John Romero took uh, that technology and then said, oh, we've got to surprise Tom Hall with this. And uh, they created this uh, demo called Dangerous Dave in Copyright Infringement. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that was the first genuine side-scrolling platformer on the PC where they recreated the first level of Mario right. with Dangerous Dave. Didn't they even approach Nintendo uh, and try to sell it to them? I think I read that. They did, yeah. The, 
There's a, there's a YouTube video that uh, John Romero uploaded not too long ago with uh, the working demo, and they got quite far in it. Hmm. Uh, but it turned out Nintendo wasn't interested, and that eventually became uh, Commander Keen instead. Wow. Okay. This could have gone completely different then. Yeah. Because what happened was that these guys, the John Carmack and John Romero and, and other people, they were also already uh, together, um, and they later became what is known as its Software, right? Right. Um, That's right, yeah. So I read somewhere they were working at this company called Soft Disk, um, and apparently it was a disk magazine. I'm not completely sure what that means, but they called themselves a magazette, <laughs> which was like... Uh, uh, oh, a magazine and the diskette, yeah. Yeah, it's like a, 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 yeah, a diskette magazine. So they, I don't know what they did. Did they release software monthly or something? Is that... Was that the the format? I'm not sure. I, I think that was the idea, yeah. Hmm, right. Yeah, I think they had several teams working in parallel on small tools and games and um, have them released every month, I guess. Or I don't know what the actual period was. But yeah, that that's what they did. And that also got a bit complicated later on when they actually tried to make Keen. How so? And sell it to soft games, basically. Hmm, it's a, to Softdisk, their their employer. Yeah, they. I, uh, if I remember the story correctly, then they tried to sell it to them as well. And they first were a bit uh, cautious because they had never before released any game that didn't work on a CGA computer. Mm. And uh, this new technology, EGA, it was probably very new still. And not every uh, reader of their magazine already had this hardware. And so they didn't actually like buying it from or actually or selling it on their magazine mm, okay that's yeah that's right okay, that's interesting so yeah uh, because of that uh, the team tom hall john carmack john romero adrian carmack uh they got frustrated with uh, softest publishing uh refusing to see what they thought was the future and uh they did something that uh we, they would never get away with today, which was to, um, they rented a beach house near their work, I think, and then every Friday evening, they would wait until everyone had gone home, they would bundle the office computers into the back of a van, they would drive to the beach house, work on their stuff over the weekend, and then quick, get it back Monday morning before anyone notices. Seriously? Yeah, that's, uh, if you, I've been reading Masters of Doom, the uh, yeah. uh, biography of ID Software, and uh, that's, uh, that is why uh, software developers now have this... Uh, clause in their contract that says you can only use our equipment to do our stuff <laughs> yeah but then again uh, nowadays it's not such a big deal to get a few extra computers oh that's right yeah they were very uh, expensive and very out of reach in those days yeah right oh wow that's amazing okay so the okay <laughs> the game was developed on on stolen hardware basically temporarily stolen um Okay, that's cool. Um, so the game was not published by Softdisk, at least not uh, at first. Um, but it was published, though, by someone else. Uh, because I read that, um, well, Apogee Software, they uh, had this shareware thing going. Uh, where they released like a, a small part of a game uh, for free. And then people could uh, write a postcard and, and add some uh, money into it. And then they would receive the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and Commander Keen was released in that, well, by them in that format as well. Um, 
And while I was reading about Apogee, because later they they renamed into uh, 3D Realms and they became quite a big, uh, yeah, publisher I think, and and even developer. Yes, yeah, they. Uh, it was about half and half. They developed their own games and they uh, published uh, independent games as well. Right, but at the time of Commander Keen, it wasn't a very large uh, company at all. It was really just this kid Scott Miller. <laughs> And his and his mum. Mm-hmm. That's right. That was well, kid. I think he was twenty five <laughs> around that time. So I'm not mm, sure okay. you would call him a kid. Yeah. Well. Mm. Okay. But uh, it was Scott Miller and his mum, and they published this giant game that Commander Keen turned out to be, uh, and that changed everything for them, and and yeah, and and for uh, for everyone really. This game was a, a turning point. It was. It really was. Yeah, that's amazing. That you know, because uh, I also read that they spent just three months working on this game. Is that true? Oh, I can't remember, but it sounds it sounds quite likely. Hmm. Huh. Imagine that. Just you know, crunching for three months and then mm-hmm. changing all uh, the lives of all these people. That's uh, <laughs> that's amazing. Not only all those people, just uh, when you look at the Apogee catalog of software, what they developed and what they published, um, I, I think everybody can name maybe 10 titles from that list from the top of their head. <laughs> it's, just imagine what, what would have happened without Keen. None of those games would probably ever have seen the light of day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I think that Keen is such an important and amazing game. Maybe even if it's not, not the very best game from today's perspective, it's still such an important game for... Everything else that happened in gaming in the 90s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. Because if you look at it um, with modern eyes, as we're doing right now, and, well, I mean, you have huge uh, nostalgia and, and everything for this game, of course. But if you don't, if you aren't really familiar with Commander Keen, you just are new to it now, I think uh, it's a bit underwhelming, maybe. Because it's really quite... A basic game uh, doesn't look particularly good. It doesn't sound. It's just got PC speaker sound, I think. That's right, yeah. Uh, yeah, no music, um, barely any writing. So it's 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 quite minimal, really. It is, but, yeah, when you think about uh, Super Mario and that uh, having come out, I think it was five years earlier by the time Commander Keen rolled around. Uh, and especially if you were looking at what the bigger companies like Sierra were doing on the PC at the time. Yeah. I mean, 1990 was King's Quest V, I think, by that stage. Yeah, and that game was, was gorgeous. It had, uh, I think, VGA graphics and, mm. and uh, spoken uh, digital audio. And, and yeah, that was a, a huge thing. And then by comparison, Commander Keen looks a bit... Yeah, a bit basic, a bit. But even though, uh, well, I mean, it it just looks different from our modern perspective, I suppose. Because if you look up some of the uh, reviews from at the time when it was released, people were raving. People were uh, giving it all the top marks. People were really, really, uh, yeah, praising this this game. Mm -hmm. So, and that was... Probably all down to this uh, achievement of getting the smooth scrolling in, I think. Yeah, that's right. It was uh, like nothing that anyone had ever seen before on the PC. And I think that uh, despite staying with EGA graphics, which were getting on a bit even then, I think I think uh, most people, I wouldn't say most people, but 
at least half the PC population would have had a VGA card by then. Mm. Uh, despite that, I think that the Mario-like nature of it uh, really propelled it. Right, yeah. It's interesting. It's not something that we think about a lot nowadays, even though people still have different uh, types of, of graphic chips and, and games have to... Uh, well, they have settings, you know, to to uh, make it work on all these different systems. Mm-hmm. It was it was a bit more extreme even at the time when there were people who still had four color CGA graphics powering their screens, <laughs> and at the same time, uh, people were pushing the envelope with super VGA stuff happening all the way at the other side, and games had to accommodate that whole range. Um, so yes, yeah. I I used to play about with graphics modes and uh, compare what games looked like in CGA, EGA, VGA. Um, yeah, but the gap was incredible at the time, and the same with um, when CDs uh, became uh, available uh, in the round nineteen uh, ninety four, nineteen ninety five. People were getting CD ROM drives, and that meant that uh, people instead of one point four MB discs, they could go to six hundred and fifty MB CDs. Yeah, uh, the the gap was just incredible, and I don't think uh, in the modern era we've seen gaps like that in technology ever again. Yeah, those jumps—they're they're just crazy. Um, How did you find uh, controlling the game? Yeah, I think it's a bit weird because um, you only have the. the- Cursor keys for for moving, and uh, you would then have two more buttons for for shooting, jumping, and uh, yeah, um, using the pogo stick. And uh, I guess that's that's pro- I, that was my my assumption that that's possibly because they were designed for a joystick with two buttons. Maybe you can confirm or correct me. Uh, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think that uh, it was very rare to have a joystick with more than two buttons at the time. Right. Uh, I remember that through a quirk of PC architecture, normally the joystick port was on the sound card. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, uh, maybe they just couldn't support more than two inputs. So uh, they worked around this by having this... Um, the input for fire is to press both buttons at the same time, yeah. which is tremendously awkward by today's standards. <laughs> right. Yeah, and the whole game, it's the, the two buttons that we're talking about, they're not even um, two really... Well, they're control and alt, really. Uh, that's that's the two buttons that, that you control the game with. And for nowadays, I don't think these are the two main input buttons in, in most games. But at the time, I think control and alt were used quite a bit for for things like action and fire and stuff like that. So I think at the time it was a little bit less awkward maybe than it is now, although Mm -hmm. pressing two buttons for one thing, definitely. That is still very awkward. Yeah. Um, They fixed that in Keen 4 and later games, but you can still enable the classic mode there where you have to use the same input method. (laughs) Yeah. But the only thing that you can do with the combined buttons, that's firing the gun, I think, right? Yes. Yes, yeah, you can't, I don't think you can redefine them uh, at that kind of level. No, no, but I mean, it's it's just one, uh, for uh, you just have to press them both for one thing. It's not... Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's the, limiting the damage a bit. <laughs> hmm. um, you know, uh, I, I really didn't know a whole lot about this game, uh, so when I went in, I had no idea how to fire the gun. Hmm. Um but in a weird way, it sort of made sense that there's limited ammo as well. So you really don't want to go around firing too much. You want to save your bullets a bit. 
So in my mind, I thought, well, it's like a safety switch, you know? You're like, okay, hmm. do you really want to fire the gun? Because then you have to press the both buttons. It's like turning two of those keys on a on an atom bomb. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, you have yeah. to be really sure, and then you can go ahead <laughs> and, you know, waste one of your precious bullets. Right, that, that's another thing they change in the later games. I think from Keen 4 onward, you have lots and lots of ammo. Hmm. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then it becomes more awkward to to press the two buttons, but that was also fixed. So, yeah, it's a it's a natural progression, maybe. So yeah, we talked a little bit about the gun, which is uh, uh, one uh, aspect where it differs f- from Mario. Mm-hmm. But the biggest difference is, of course, the the pogo stick. Uh, that's not in any of the well, the classic platformers, I think. So that's a whole new thing they invented. Yeah. That's all I had to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose it uh, makes him more agile. It uh, hmm. Well, I don't know if I'd use the word agile because uh, something else that I saw someone mention on the DOS Game Club forums was that um, he is the heaviest platform game character ever. The controls yeah. are so, so sluggish. Well, not sluggish, but he may, he may be an eight-year-old boy, but he handles more like an eight-ton bulldozer. <laughs> There's so much momentum to build up and to slow down. If you let go of the key, he doesn't slow down for ages. There's this pause before jumping when he bends his knees. There's a lack of air control. So you really need to be precise with your controls. You really need to know what you're doing especially mm. with the pogo stick. And uh, I don't know, maybe they made it that heavy specifically to make it distinct from Mario. I don't know. Yeah, me neither. Uh, because it also, it, he stops uh, moving, I think, once he jumps. Or, or rather, uh, in Mario, you can, you, you can run up to something and then use that forward momentum in your jump. Mm-hmm. But that's not really going on with Keen, is it? It's all, I don't know, it feels a bit, yeah... Like, it's really heavy. Yeah, it's a completely different feel. Yeah. But the pogo stick, yeah, it sort of solves it a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. you said it makes, makes him more agile. It, it definitely allows uh, to reach more places because, yeah, just the, the increased uh, jump range. So it maybe there's a, there's a less uh, need for, you know, doing the running jump because you can just boost up with the pogo stick. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. And it's... It's also interesting that you can never lose the pogo stick, right? Hmm. In other uh, platformer games, you, you get a power-up and then you lose it again, or it's a limited use, a limited number oh, yes. of uses, and the pogo stick, you have it forever. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and it carries forward between games as well. I mean, there's only that very brief period at the start of Commander Keen 1 when he doesn't have his pogo stick. Right. Yeah, and, and I assume that's even just as a tutorial, basically. Yeah. So that the player can get comfortable with the basic controls, and then they add the gun and the pogo stick. And But I think you can you can actually get the pogo stick and the gun very early without playing any levels before, right? Because you don't have to do the first intro levels. Oh, you have to, you yeah, have to do I the think very, you might be right, yeah. You have to do the very first one, I think. Yeah, that's another thing. You can choose uh, which level to do, mm-hmm. uh, because there's this uh, overview world map. And that's also, well, I wouldn't say that's not in any of the other platformers, because it is. I mean, Mario 3 also has a, a world map, and, and Super Mario World, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. But still, it feels it feels quite free, this one. It, like... You can walk to basically, well, not any level, but a lot of levels. They are available right away. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the differences to the later Mario games, where you basically you finish a level and you get one or two new options where you can go. But in Keen, you can go to most places, except for maybe pass through one valley or something like that. 
and uh, other other than that you can move around freely mm -hmm, for the yeah. whole time basically and in mario you have to walk from level to level and there's two levels connected by a path and that's it and yeah it's, it's a much much uh, narrower tree structure maybe that you can follow hmm. yeah so it's it's um, because I saw in a lot of these reviews that it's compared directly to Mario. Like, oh, it's it's Mario on the PC now. <laughs> but but actually, there are quite a, a, a few notable differences. So it's actually not all that Mario-like at all, maybe. <laughs> Especially in the level design. Yes, yeah. I saw you talk about a bit about that uh, on the forums, David. That's right, yeah. And uh, what was noticeable to me when I first played Mario, which was... Uh, as probably as late as the late nineties. The late nineties uh, was wow. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd, ne I'd never properly played it until I discovered what emulators were and uh, <laughs> had to go at them all that way. But uh, what struck me about it was that it was very simple. It was very left to right. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of exploration in it. Uh, the exploration instead came from finding these secrets and finding warps to other levels. Um, but Commander Keen and all the PC platforms that I'd played. Uh, they were very four-directional scrolling. They're non-linear. You have to find key cards and use them other places. Yeah. They're much more exploratory. And um, maybe more difficult because of that as well? Possibly, yeah. And uh, I had just assumed that all uh, console platformers were like that. I, I suppose uh, the Sonic series, uh, that's that's very free as well. There are a lot of different routes uh, for that. And you have that kind of exploration, but ultimately the, the goal is still to go from left to right. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's a holdover, uh, this design from what we were talking about before, when PC games could only use one screen per level, so they had to fold their interesting level design all around each other. Yeah. Yeah, and also maybe um, just a different audience as well, because I think a lot of these Nintendo games were aimed at kids primarily, mm -hmm. um, and and the, the PC games maybe not as much so. Maybe, yeah. I'm I'm unsure now that you say it. Is Commander Keen a children's game or um, yeah. I think it's at least aimed or targeted at, at families because there's no killing in the game as far as I remember. Apart from all the monsters, and, you mean. Uh, Apart from all the monsters, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they I, they're, they're they're not dead, right? They're just they're, zapped, ju they're just zapped. Ah no, late, yeah. later yeah, I, later they're dead. That, that's I right, yeah. I think I think the earlier games they're zapped uh ambiguously toasted yeah uh, but the fourth game onward is more explicit about saying they're just stunned um there was something kind of disturbing that i remember in uh again from the book masters of doom where i think it was john romero who specifically wanted the monster's bodies left on screen because he wanted you to see the consequences of your actions or something and uh oh. that's a surprisingly dark thing yeah that's a bit morbid yeah huh Okay, well, they certainly went on in a more darker path after Keen, right? <laughs> yeah. so. They did, mm, clearly. <laughs> and somebody, uh, some, uh, someone else, I think it might have been you, uh, Martian, uh, the design philosophy of Doom comes through in Commander Keen in a weird way because you've got this big world to explore, not all of it is necessary, you've got to find out the bits that lead you to progress, you've got to grab key cards, there are secrets for you to find, including a whole secret level. Yeah. Um, so, so they had that exploratory uh, game design very early on. Yeah, I especially felt this when uh, when playing Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein feels a bit like I'm playing Commander Keen in 3D, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think even some of the sound effects are remarkably similar. <laughs> so, yeah, it it all uh, it yeah, it feels like they had the same 
basic idea of how to make a game. Just the, the, the form they presented it in was different. Absolutely. Yeah. I was also thinking a little bit about this difference in audience and, and how the the levels, they are maybe a bit more complex in, in, in games like Command & Keen uh, compared to the Nintendo games. Um, and I was reminded of a quote by, uh, by Al Lowe, uh, who made the Larry series over at Sierra. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, because th- those games also included crazy difficult puzzles, and he was asked about, you know, why why are your games so difficult? Why don't you accommodate accommodate more to you know the the common man instead of these smart geniuses who apparently what you apparently have to be to to solve your games? And he said something like, "Well, you know, DOS games are aimed at people who are able to get a DOS game running, <laughs> so <laughs> that automa- that automatically." Uh, filters out quite a lot of people because <laughs> it's not as, as simple as just sticking the cartridge in and, and turning it on. You know, you have to set your config sys right and, and do the setup and choose the right oh, stuff yes, you're... To, to get it work and then and make sure you have memory available. <laughs> so, yeah, this automatically gives you a different audience. Yeah, right. I... It's also more expensive, I guess, so that uh, more grown-ups maybe were supposed to play. Hmm. Yeah, it was, I think, a business computer originally, the, the IBM PC. That's right, oh, yeah. yeah. totally. So, yeah, not really. Uh, I, th- I think there were also thousands of dollars, by the way, so not really something uh, you would buy uh, for Christmas. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about the monsters. Um, I think one interesting thing is that uh, not all the monsters actually kill you. What's up with that? Yeah, that's right. I was uh, very surprised when I was growing up when I first accidentally touched one of the little uh, one-eyed green things, which I think are called Yorps, hmm. and uh, he just pushed me out of the way instead yeah. of uh, instead of the instant death that I was expecting. Yeah, that's quite gentle. But they often push you into uh, groundless holes or spikes, so... <laughs> they do. <laughs> <laughs> Can't have everything. Um, yeah, so it's... It, it's actually pretty hard to tell what's going to harm you and what isn't. Yeah. I mean, there's the big monsters that rush at you. Obviously, you want to stay out their way, but uh, uh, you can touch most of the robots without any harm. There's the manic blue puppies in the second episode uh, that go very fast, and they once uh, once again their uh, their purpose is to knock you off your feet and to delay you, and hopefully another monster will get you. Mm. Right. Yeah, it's, I, I saw um, Marvan uh, talking about this on the forums as well, that it's not immediately apparent um, what everything is on the screen. Like, mm-hmm. and, and you'll learn by playing, of course, but at first it's not always clear what is uh, going to harm you and what is actually good for you. And, and if it's a power-up, then what it will do. Uh, but yeah, maybe... I mean, it also uh, gives a little bit more replayability, maybe. Mm. Uh, you have to try a few times around. Because you start with uh, five lives or something, I think, like that, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that already implies that you'll be trying multiple times the same level uh, as, as as platforms are normally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it was also... Uh, quite common in those days to to make it deliberately a little bit vague and so just that you could have this sense of uh 
mastery of overcoming like oh yeah first i didn't know and now i do so yeah yeah there's that uh now i suppose um if we are talking about keen uh that means that there's one particularly uh interesting subject that we have to talk about and i'm really happy that you're here for that david because i think you're the only one who can tell us anything <laughs> about this um and this is of course the standard galactic alphabet yes absolutely so What's this all about? So the standard galactic alphabet is something that Tom Hall came up with. Um, hmm. he, he and, started... and who's who's uh, Tom Hall, by the way? Oh, Tom Hall was uh, one of the designers uh, at id at the time. Hmm. Right. Uh, and he later moved on to, uh, he actually joined Apogee Software uh, because he thought that uh, the games that id were doing were taking a darker turn than he liked. Uh, so he joined Apogee for a while. Hmm. Um and Tom Hall, when he was uh, designing, I think it was the exit graphics at first. You know, there's the there's the exit sign next to the doors for the levels. Yeah. And uh, instead of just writing exit, he uh, took chunks out of the letters to form this cipher uh, for the word exit. Right. And then then he decided to expand that into this complete uh, ciphered alphabet that's then used throughout the game. That's some. It's quite a bizarre feature, actually. This. It is nice. Yeah, I, I'd never really thought about it before uh, we played this this uh, month, but uh, I don't think many games had that no, at the time. No. I've, I've, I've heard a, there are a couple of other ones uh, oh, yeah, there's, uh, there's much later on. I think Quake 4 did it. Uh, there must be other examples that uh, I'm forgetting, but yeah, it's a, it's a nice Easter egg. It's, it's quite an uh, elaborate Easter egg, it seems to me. It's, it's also completely useless and uh, it gives you another option to explore and you can play the whole game without ever knowing about the standard galactic alphabet basically yeah yeah um you will see those signs and you think hey what's that yeah okay some some decoration looks like uh, alien script but who cares mm -hmm. but you can find information about it and you can find this um statue of a, of a what were they called yorp and it will tell you uh, too bad you cannot read the standard galactic alphabet and um, then you can start maybe wondering about it, uh, but you don't have to. You can you can do it if you want and skip it if you don't want, and that's very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's it's this has exactly um, the the standard galactic alphabet itself has inspired other games. The, the SGA is directly visible in Minecraft, for example, and um, <laughs> Face has something similar. It's it's its own alphabet, but it did the same. And yes, yeah. I think that's that's spawned lots and lots of of games that. Uh, use something like that or the alphabet itself so where does the alphabet appear in minecraft um there's this enchantment table where you can put your gear and get some enchantments on it and it will show the name of the spell in some randomized uh, standard galactic alphabet uh, <laughs> script yeah basically oh wow i've I, i've never played minecraft but it sounds like i would have an advantage because i'd be able to read it <laughs> can you actually read it fluently oh dear i i can <laughs> i mean i can't read oh it my like God. i can't read it like it's english but uh, if you if you put uh one of the signs with standard galactic in front of me i could i could read it without looking up a table oh that's impressive <laughs> well, if you're, you know, my recommendation is to be a bit awkward when you're a child and not have many friends or go out much. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a useless ability uh, compared to some people. Uh, uh, Martian, for example, you were speaking English fluently just now. You would never know that English wasn't your first language. Oh, uh, you, thank you. <laughs> you you grew up with Dutch. Can I guess that you probably speak other languages as well? Uh, I suppose not as well as English, though. 
Not as well as in case, but but you know, you you have a handle on multiple European languages. There's um, because uh, everyone in Europe can do this. Uh, there's a a Swedish metal band that I love called Sabaton. Uh, the frontman's called Joachim Broden. He is. Uh, have you have you heard of them? By the way, I have not. No, I'm not really no, okay. familiar with so, the Swedish metal scene. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that you know, being from Europe, there might be an outside chance because nobody in America is going to have heard of them. Mm, uh, right. But yeah, their front man is this huge, tough, he's got a mohawk, he looks like a tank wearing a man suit. Uh, he's not someone you would think of as a language aficionado, but on every live CD I have of them during shows in Europe, he speaks Swedish, he speaks English, uh, he uh, sees some Finnish people in the crowd and starts speaking Finnish to them like it's nothing. Uh, it, it's incredible how Europeans can do that. <laughs> And people, yeah. yeah, people born in English-speaking countries, they're much worse at it. Instead of any talent at real languages, uh, I got this. Hmm. Ah, right. So this is your alternative to uh, <laughs> to living next to a border where people talk in a completely different way. So if you ever want to go buy something over there, then there's really only one option, and it is to, yeah, that's right. Yeah, learn a bit of their language. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I suppose English is a bit of a bubble where. Um, everywhere you go, people will start speaking English to you. Mm -hmm. So there's never really an opportunity to learn another language. That's right, yeah. I mean, uh, schools in the UK teach uh, French and German, and I have a bit of German family, so I know a bit of it, but uh, nothing like it would take to be conversational in it. Yeah, but there's a big difference. I mean, if you're if you're a German family, if they travel to anywhere where they don't speak German, mm -hmm. well... There's really not a lot of options because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, uh, yeah, English has also become sort of the, like the, the lingua franca, you know, like a, a common tongue of the world. So It has, it has. And that's, that's convenient for English speakers. I think we have the internet to thank for a lot of that. Yeah, well, and also, yeah, I, I think so. But I, I actually learned a lot of English uh, through these DOS games. Oh, of course, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, playing these as a kid. Uh, and uh, yeah, they they basically forced me to to learn what these letters mean because otherwise I would be stuck. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's your advantage being Dutch because in Germany you have to try very hard to find stuff that is not translated to German. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, that's tr that's true. Um, although I don't think Commander Keen was translated to German. No, no it, it it wasn't. No, mm -hmm. there's barely any text. <laughs> It has a lot more text than Mario, for example. I think Mario has maybe two lines of text, which is, uh, mm. sorry, Mario, your princess is in another castle, and oh, Mario. <laughs> I think that's yeah. two lines, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm sure that Mario was translated to German. Of course it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I suppose many games uh, have to be translated to German because uh, they have the um, the very strict rules about violence in games, that games have to be very heavily uh, altered for Germany. Oh yeah, we mentioned that in the Commander Key. No, sorry, in the <laughs> Commander Conquer. Conquer. Commander Conquer. Commander Conquer. Yeah, episode, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. When you have the, when you have the androids. I mean, they they could still have the same language and just replace the graphics and sounds, I guess. But yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But I think well, Germany first of all is of course a huge market in itself. So so that already makes it uh, viable to to offer a translation and also i think german people are are used to to getting their media uh, in german mm -hmm. yeah totally it's there, there's basically no program on tv or anything that's broadcast in something else in german yeah unless you you order a program from a different country on your cable provider or something like that but besides that 
nothing. Exactly. Which is also very, very sad because, uh, as you said, Martin speaks English uh, a thousand times better than I do. And that's probably because he was tortured with speaking English as a kid and I was not. I wouldn't call it torture. I was playing DOS games like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. That's that's not torture. Um, so, yeah, the standard galactic alphabet was uh, the original subject. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, completely optional Easter egg. I'm, you know, guys, I'm really amazed that um, they they made this game uh, basically in their spare time. Yeah, and and they used this cutting edge new technology that was not being used in any other DOS game, and somehow they found they found the time to include this completely uh, optional, well, useless in a way, <laughs> uh, extra stuff. Um, it's just amazing that there was time for this. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think it's a sign that they were—they really loved what they were doing. Right. Uh, they, this was this was what their passion was, and they were just throwing everything that they wanted to put into it into it. And uh, that's that's something that uh, the game industry uh, in the modern day definitely doesn't have. It's kind of clawing its way back with uh, independent developers, but uh, but yeah, th this was a really magic time for game development. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, it's also why I think that indie games really appeal to me. It's They have this DOS-like quality to me. And it's especially in things like this. It's like these little details that give it character. And they give it... Yeah. Yeah. So, so go indie games. That's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see now in the notes uh, that there's a little section on uh, the different episodes. Um... Because we've we've briefly touched on this, but the game, it's not just one game, is it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, did anyone play more than the first episode? I played the first and um, maybe, I guess, a third or so of Keen 4, and that's about it. Uh -huh. Yeah, I also just played episode one and episode four. Um, and in a way, that's the way I understand it anyway, is that the, the games one to three, that's like really one game. And then the the next series four four to six. That's also is that also one game? I'm I'm not sure actually. So the four and five are two halves of a game, and then six is something completely different. Hmm. Uh, but but yeah, you're right that uh, there are these three distinct uh, series of Commander Keen. Right. Um, so why did they split the game into three parts? Uh, well, the uh, first three parts, uh, one to three, that was uh, so they had the shareware episodes, uh, Apogee's uh, business model, and then the two commercial ones. Right. Um, for episode four, again, that was a shareware episode, and uh, because I think possibly that it was a bigger game, it was uh, tougher to develop than the really quick Commanders one to three. Uh, maybe they only thought they had time to do uh, episode five as the registered version. Mm. And then episode six, I think it was released uh, as retail by uh, possibly GT Interactive, okay. uh, which Apogee was starting to use for actually getting their games into stores. Ah. So I think this was this was an experiment by Ed to see, uh, can we do shareware and retail at the same time? Okay. Yeah, because the, the, the business model was um, to give a small part of the game for free 
and then you had to mm -hmm. buy the rest, really. Yes, yeah. So that's why they split the game in, in chunks. Mm -hmm. It's kind of uh, incredible that before Scott Miller, nobody had thought of this, <laughs> because it, se it seems such an obvious idea. But uh, no one had done that until uh, he started Apogee. Huh. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's uh, it's um, you see this episodic thing uh, in other games uh, from time to time as well, uh, in more modern things as well. I mean, you, like the the um, the Telltale games, for example. Yes. Yeah. In a way, that's uh, kind of a return to the episodic nature of uh, the Apogee games. Yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a solid way to give something away for free, but then not have uh, yeah a complete. A free game out there if if someone messes with a few of the bits <laughs> um so yeah i just played the first and the fourth um and i was told i i, I played the fourth one because i was told that that was really the best one uh and i did see that it was a massive improvement oh yes definitely over, uh, of, yeah uh and it was released rather quickly after the first, after the original series. Yeah, I think a year later, not even a year later. Yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah, so it's an amazing graphical improvement. I I still can't quite believe it's just EGA. They use the 16 colors so well. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, semi-isometric. It looks really fancy. Yeah. it's. I suppose it, it would be, uh, you, you talked about Commander Keen's 1 to 3 looking primitive a while ago. I suppose that would be what I would have expected from a first PC platformer uh, five years after mm. Mario. So it, they could make something look like that. Yeah. it's. Uh, well, uh, what did you think, Florian? Yeah, I played, uh, I think, a third or a bit more than a third of the game. And um, that was then I, then I found out that that was actually the game that I played in school back, and, back then. And uh, that was what I was looking for, really, when... I heard Keen and uh, I was, yeah, we should play that. I remember that. And I, I started Keen 1. I thought, yeah, this looks kind of like what I remember, <laughs> but uh, I remember it a bit better looking. What's going on here? And then then I started Keen 4 and then, ah, look, that's the game I played. Right. Yeah, as a kid, I remember because I was never really into these games, but I just heard other kids talk about it. And it seems like there were a million Keen games. Like they were always talking about, yeah, but if you played part this and part that, it's just insane how many of these games they made in such a short time. Yeah. So, uh, and they also made some uh, quite, well, I want to say recently, but I saw they released one in 2001, I think. Oh, yes, there was one on the Game Boy Advance. Um I know that uh, I think Tom Hall said he's not very proud of that one. <laughs> I think I don't, I'm not sure he had anything to do with it, but uh, uh, I haven't ever played it myself. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure either if it's really uh, if it's if it's that good. But it seems that that part four, that's the uh, yeah I, yeah. I see people mentioning that as as the best one. So. I would definitely agree because the the size of the world map and the variety in the levels is kind of incredible for. Uh, shareware episode that was given away for free episode five by comparison is really kind of uh homogenous mm. it's uh it's all very uh standard very similar uh alien spaceship environments and uh, it really isn't as interesting as keen for oh that must have been a bit difficult business-wise as well because you know, people had been teased with this free version, and then they would put down money mm -hmm. and 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 expect to get even more amazing stuff. But yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah, I would call it a step oh. back. Yeah. Ah, interesting. 
Um, now, we did talk a little bit about the technology uh, that was used because uh, of the, the, well, the smooth scrolling, of course, and the EGA graphics and everything. But I see now that you've highlighted something in the notes. I think it's you doing this, Florian. Yes. Um, on the chat, um, someone said that it was not clear earlier whether DOS was behind console games at the time or ahead. Um, and maybe we want to elaborate on that again, now that we talk about the technology again. Mm. Well, it was definitely not ahead, was it? No, it was <laughs> way behind until Keen. That's that's yeah. what uh, this is all about. And that's why Keen was such a, a big or huge success back then. Yeah, games were more static. That's what I remember. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, games were more, they would, they would show uh, uh, just one thing on the screen and it, it could look quite okay, you know, it, it would have lots of colors and, and it would be uh, a nice resolution and looking nicely. But it was that was it. That was the screen. And yeah, this whole updating the whole screen at once, that was not something that you saw in any of the games I remember. And it's definitely something that the consoles offered. And also some of the other uh, home computers at the time that were still very much competing with, uh, with the PC, like uh, the Amiga, for example. Yes, yeah, I definitely remember uh, seeing Amiga screenshots, and they always looked slightly better than the PC ones. Yeah, I wouldn't say slightly. <laughs> <laughs> Until the early, like, like 93 or something like that. I think that's when the PC overtook the Amiga. Yes, yeah. yeah. And this is also down to, to its offer in, in the large part. Uh, they really pushed the envelope because, well, first Keen, but later with Doom and Quake, they they were really pushing what was possible oh, yes. graphics wise. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm not sure if we should. Yeah, props to John Carmack, as if nobody had <laughs> realized this. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, so as impressive as the graphics were, the sound was a bit lacking, in my opinion. Well, yeah, there, there is not much of. Uh, much sound to speak of but the sound effects that are there i think are quite unique actually hmm. for example there's this 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 sound um when you when you pick up the gun or something it sounds very very distinct from from other things that you can do mm -hmm. or that you hear in other games yeah there's these 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 uh, i would almost call them arpeggios maybe yeah these deet, 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 deet. yeah they're not <laughs> you know bad. what i mean yeah they're not bad they're like little melodies yeah and that's possible because there's no actual music right uh, in Keen 1, 2, 3 have no music. 4 has music. Yeah, So exactly. But this gives us room for these elaborate uh, sound mm -hmm. effects with musical information because it's not interfering with the background music. That's my theory, at least. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a sound theory. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's Keen, I think. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that we've not mentioned that we would like to talk about? Well, I suppose that um, a thought that I had when I was younger playing Keen was that I was never quite clear if the Commander Keen story, uh, you know, this uh, child superhero that's made a spaceship in the back garden out of tins of soup and spares bits of Hoover, um, <laughs> I was never quite clear if that was meant to be real or if this is just imaginative play. You know, he's making up this story about going to space and zapping aliens with a pogo stick. Um, I, I don't want to be, like, um, 
you know, the internet's so rubbish at fan theories because they make everything say, uh, my fan theory is that this is a fever dream being hallucinated <laughs> by a mental patient and actually his parents are dead and so is everyone they love. Um, I, don't, I, I don't want to be like that, but uh, I, I did always wonder if uh, the story was meant to be made up by an eight-year-old. And, and earlier you said that uh, the It games got darker and darker, but with that theory, it means they, they probably got, <laughs> got less dark over time, right? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, is there is there a way to know this? What they had? I yeah, what they had? I don't know. I suppose uh, Tom Hall's the only person who knows. Hmm. Well, let's call him up. He's right here. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> no. But, well, I, d I do. I do love that about the modern era, though. That uh, you know, you can just go and ask him on Twitter. That's true. Uh, that's uh, that's not something that we got uh, the opportunity to do when uh, Keen was uh, first released. That's that's totally true. Uh, we just spoke to. Uh, uh, Corey and Laurie Cole the other day, uh, the creators of uh, Quest for Glory. Yeah, that's fantastic. And the fact that that just happened is uh, still uh, amazing to me. Mm -hmm. uh, because there was no way, as a, as a kid in the late 80s playing these games, that you could get in touch with the people who made them. Mm -hmm. That was just unconceivable. So... Yeah, that is true. Um, and and maybe uh, we'll we'll send them a tweet, and uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> let's find out. Yeah, let's find out. Maybe they'll uh, tell us. Um, but yeah, I mean, does, does it? Yeah, does it really matter? Um, <laughs> in the end, it's just um, uh, well, they need some kind of a reason to get this game on. So I mean, you have to explain a little bit who you are and why you're there. But yeah. It doesn't have to make much sense. And I don't <laughs> think the, the It games in general are really known for their deep and elaborate stories. <laughs> no, no. So. Uh, John Carmack had a saying about stories in games, which I won't repeat here because <laughs> uh, you probably know it. And I, I, I kind of disagree with it in the modern yeah, day. Yeah, but still. I mean, uh, well, it was also a time um, when just having this technical... Uh, um, well... It, I think games came from a different angle. That's yeah. what I was trying to say. Like nowadays, uh, the technical uh, limitations, they're really off. Uh, you can do anything. You can show anything. So that means that there has to be... Um, you have to make your game from some other place. Uh, well, back in the day, just overcoming a technical limitation, that was already the reason to make a game. Uh, so... That's maybe why a story wasn't all that important, because just the fact that you had this guy on the screen, that was already... Uh, yeah, I would definitely agree with that, yeah. Right. There's also this, this one thing I remember from literature class, um, even though I was terrible in this uh, topic, but where, <laughs> where they said, um, it doesn't matter what the author of a story wanted the story to mean, it's only important what this story means to the uh, reader or the viewer. So mm. maybe if, if that's your interpretation, then that's what this story means, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's very DOS philosophy club. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I, I think it's clear that you guys are quite fond of this game. I mean, uh, would you recommend it nowadays to, to other gamers? I would recommend playing it at least to, to um, get uh, something about the... Uh, history of computer games basically i mean even if you don't like the game to its full extent and maybe if you don't even play it until the end maybe seeing what was so important to people uh, in 1991 mm. and what spawned so much more of gaming history I, I think for that reason alone you should take a look at the game 
Yeah, absolutely. At least get the shareware ones, play through that, and just see uh, what was so important in 1990. Right. And if you don't like Keen 1 or 2 or 3, then try Keen 4, and maybe you will like that one more. Yeah, Keen 4 is definitely quite quite a solid platformer, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, that I think that one especially, it, it holds up quite well to modern standards. Yeah, definitely. And it's uh, oh, one of the other things that I meant to mention was that uh, it, it introduces difficulty levels. Ah. And the, dif- the difficulty levels aren't just, uh, you know, mathematical. You don't, get, uh, you don't start with fewer lives or more lives or something. Mm. They, I, they actually change the enemies that appear in the game yeah. uh, and, and the obstacles. So uh, these, these are quite elaborate. And again, that's something that they did with Doom much later on. The, the difficulty really changes the game. Yeah, that's quite unique. For uh, for platformers, I think still, mm-hmm. hmm, that's impressive. Right, uh, I, I I can't think of a single one that has multiple difficulty levels. No, that's not common at all in in platformers. Wow, it's almost like uh, they they develop multiple games. Uh, if 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 all these things change for the for the different difficulties, mm-hmm. then yeah. Must have been a pain for the playtesters. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. So, um, so that was Keen then, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Should we wrap this up, Florian, or what do you think? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's kill it. Let's kill it <laughs> with fire. Um, yeah. So, uh, that was Commander Keen. Um, which we have been playing uh, at the DOS Game Club in uh, back in September. Uh, what has happened since September is that uh, in October we played uh, Nightmare 3D by uh, David P. Gray because, uh, well, October is a spooky month, <laughs> so we wanted a spooky game. Um, so we'll talk about Nightmare 3D next uh, on the next episode. Uh, and currently, as we're recording this, it's uh, November already. And in November, we are playing... Um, I think you suggested this game, didn't you, Florian? I'm not so sure. I thought I suggested it, but someone else said maybe they suggested it. So someone uh, suggested the game. Uh, well, lots but... of people suggested this one because it's a big one. Yeah, it could could very well have been me. Right. It is. Drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> Grand Theft Auto. Ta-da! The original. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it's that amazing? Super amazing. I think not a lot of people realize that this is a DOS game. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm already having a lot of fun with going back to it. It's, it's perfect. Uh, I have so many memories of that game and uh, it's all coming back. Ah, that's cool. Except for my geographical knowledge of the cities, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's always the map. Right. Um, yeah, so Grand Theft Auto, uh, that's what we're playing right now. Uh, so if you want to join, go to uh, dosgameclub.com and... Uh, Register an account there and uh, discuss this game with us on the forums. Um, you can also hang out with us on IRC. Uh, that's on Afternet in uh, the channels called uh, DOS Game Club. And finally, we're also on uh, Twitter, where we have an account called DOS Game Club. So uh, you can follow, uh, follow us there, see what we're up to. Um, now, uh, one final thing that we should mention is that uh, we already know what we're going to play in December. That's uh, after Grand Theft Auto has been uh, over. Uh, and that game is uh, The Incredible Machine by, 
Uh, by who is it actually? Dyna, Dyna something. It, it was Dynamics, right. yeah, which was, uh, I can't remember if they were actually part of Sierra at that point, but I think they shared a lot of uh, Sierra people. Yeah, I think it was published by Sierra as well. So there was some connection there definitely going on. Uh, but yeah, The Incredible Machine is uh, what's up next. So that should be loads of fun. Yeah. Um, there are just so many DOS games. It's uh, it's crazy. <laughs> we'll keep the club going for a few years yet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to hurry if we want to play them all. <laughs> Actually, when we started all this, uh, I thought I had played all the DOS games that there were. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> That's uh... Especially since there are new games being made right now. Well, yeah, not a lot, though, but still. No, not, not many. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, thanks thanks a lot for uh, for being here, uh, Florian and David. Thank you. Of course, I'm always here. Well, still, uh, and and thank you, the listener, for for listening. Um, I hope to see you around. That's it. Bye. Bye bye. bye.